So, as I mentioned earlier, today we're going to be looking at the topic of baptism. The next week we'll have our baby dedication service. The week after that, we're going to look at just the Christian life. Uh, biblically speaking, what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Um, today, <clears throat> there's a chance this may feel more like a um, more like a study, almost like a, a classroom setting. Because really all I intend to do today is just kind of go, go through baptism and look at a few different passages of Scripture that I think highlight the significance or the importance of baptism. What it is, what it is not. And uh, I, w- I will say this, even, even in our area, um, it is more common that you may realize um, that people do make a connection to baptism and salvation in the sense that they teach others that you must be baptized in order to actually be saved. Uh, now we are Baptist, but when we say we're Baptist, Baptists historically do not teach that we're Baptist and that means that we connect baptism to salvation, meaning you've got to be baptized to be saved. No, we believe in baptism by immersion and we believe that baptism, of course, is of utmost importance, but it is not baptism that saves you. You don't have to be baptized in order for your salvation to be sealed or to be locked in in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it simply means that we hold that we uh, one must be baptized by immersion. We don't sprinkle in the Baptist tradition, um, and we hold that it is a it is an outward profession or an outward showing of what has happened internally, what has happened spiritually. So I wrote down a couple of questions that people may ask whenever the topic of baptism comes up. They may say, well, well, what does baptism actually accomplish? Or they may simply ask, what is the purpose of baptism? So I wrote down two little phrases here. You can, you can try to jot them down word for word or you can shorthand. But I'm going to read both of the, uh, the little statements that I, that I wrote down here. In my notes, baptism is the public proclamation that an individual has repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. This faith is what unites them to Christ in his death and in his resurrection. So it is faith that unites us to Christ in his death and in his resurrection. But baptism is a public proclamation that one has repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The other statement that I wrote down, this one a little bit longer. Baptism is a demonstration of what has taken place by the supernatural work of the Spirit. Namely, being born again, raised up to new life in Jesus Christ, and now a baptized member of the body of Christ. Separated and called out from the world, a chosen child of the family of God. Okay? So baptism is a demonstration of what has taken place by the supernatural work of the Spirit. So what has taken place internally, namely being born again, raised up to new life in Jesus Christ, a baptized member of the body of Christ, separated and called out from the world, a chosen child of the family of God. So we start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to kind of flesh out this internal supernatural work of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, 
It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. So even though the body is made up of many members, even though the body of Christ is made up of many people from all across the world, all of the members of Christ have been baptized into one body in one spirit. So there is a baptism that is common to all of us when we are baptized into the body of Christ. And this is through the Spirit. This is something that uh, that is done through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God. Turn now to Titus chapter 3, if you would. 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. Titus chapter 3. Titus 3, starting in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now when we talk about baptism, you can't really talk about baptism without talking about the gospel. Without talking about salvation and eternal life. The two are linked up here. The two are uh, closely connected with one another. But I want us to look here. I'm not going to ask you to turn to John 3. John 3.16, of course, being probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture. But in John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, a man cannot even see the kingdom of of God, the kingdom of heaven, unless he is born again. A fancier term to born again is regeneration. When somebody is regenerated, they are born again. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that being born again, uh, he compares it to the wind, but he says, so it is with those who are born of the Spirit. Here in Titus chapter 3, Paul says in verse 4, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. From where did our new birth come from? How was our new birth granted to us? How were we born again? Through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural work of the Spirit of God. We cannot make ourselves be born again. It is a gift of God through His goodness and loving kindness and His mercy and His grace. Okay, And when we are born again, we are baptized into the body of Christ. We are separated from the world. And we are a part of the body of Christ. And that is why we as Christians can say this world is not our home. We all probably are familiar with the old song. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Right? Okay. How can we say that? 
How can we say along with Paul that our citizenship is in heaven? We don't belong here. We're just sojourners in a land that is not our own. Well, we can say that because as God's people, we are a called out, we are a chosen, a sanctified people. Called out for His own possession. Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is at our true home with our Father. So, if you're a demonstration of what has taken place by the supernatural work of the Spirit, and you say, well, what is that? I know that you said that, and you may have written that down as you were copying what I wrote down. You might say, well, what is that supernatural work of the Spirit? We are born again and baptized into the body of Christ. Now, with baptism, we could also say that baptism is commanded. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, as part of, as part of the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So it's commanded. Baptism was also demonstrated by Jesus Himself. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Baptism is proclaimed in Acts chapter 2. After the sermon at Pentecost, they say, What must we do to be saved? And Peter's response is repent and be baptized. So baptism is proclaimed and baptism is praised in the Scriptures. We've read from 1 Corinthians 12 where that talks about being baptized into the body. But at the beginning of the service, our Scripture reading was from Colossians chapter 2. Uh, So let's go back there briefly. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Let's read that again. Colossians chapter 2, I am going to start in verse 6 again. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead." And you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. So we see that we've been baptized into Christ here, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God. And if you've seen a baptism service before, there's a very good chance that uh, the pastor said, uh, buried in his likeness, raised to walk in newness of life. Uh, a lot of times that is the pattern uh, of a baptism uh, that, that takes place. We're buried with him. We're raised up with him, raised to walk in newness of life. So we see it's commanded, it's demonstrated, it's proclaimed, and it is Praise, but does baptism itself save and is baptism necessary in order for any of us to actually be really saved, fully saved? Like, is it possible to make a profession of faith and say that you're saved, but you didn't get baptized 
And in that in-between state, you act, maybe you were planning to get baptized. You pass away. Are you going to be not, are you going to be denied access to heaven? Are you going to be denied access to glory because you failed to be baptized while you're on earth? Scripturally speaking, and, and I'll hear what I said. Scripturally speaking, this is not just, well, we're Baptists and we take the stance that this, but some people don't. Scripturally speaking, biblically speaking, the answer is a resounding no. We are not going to miss out on heaven. We're not going to be denied heaven if we are not baptized here on this earth. Now, a, another disclaimer. Lest you think, oh, so then it's not a big deal to be baptized. If I get saved, I can choose to be baptized or I can choose not to be baptized. I'm also not saying that. Every believer ought to be baptized. It is one of the first signs of obedience to the faith. Jesus said that we ought to be baptized. Anyone making a profession of faith ought to say, I need to be baptized. But does that baptism have a connection with our entrance into glory for eternity? No. So, where do we pull that from? Now we're going to get to some quick references here. Where do we pull that from? Romans chapter 4. We've looked at Romans 4 a good many times as we have... uh, as we have gone through our study in Genesis, and here again we see the significance of understanding that one is justified by faith. One is justified before God through faith. So, Romans chapter 4, verse 2. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Jump to verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now that's important because many will make, and I think it's a good connection, many will make a connection between Old Testament circumcision and New Testament baptism. Okay, That it's a sign or a seal of the covenant Between God and His people. Those that have been baptized. Are those who are identifying in an outward sense. We are cut off from the world. And we are with Christ. We are of the party of Christ. Okay. So in the Old Testament. They had a physical outward sign. That they were the covenant people of God. All of the males were to receive circumcision. Okay. So if we take that as a parallel. We say. Well, was Abraham justified before or after he was circumcised? He was justified before God before he was circumcised. So we, in our context today, at our profession of faith, if we repent and turn from our sins, we are justified through faith. Are we only justified after we're baptized? No. We are justified through faith in Christ, justified by faith. Okay. It, does that justification come before or after circumcision? Does the justification come before or after baptism? It comes before. So we can say confidently, 
And we're going to look at a few more verses, but even just reading this, we say, well, if we're justified by faith, then we're not justified by faith plus baptism or faith plus anything. We're justified by faith alone. So that's Romans chapter 4. From there, uh, just consider consider John 3.16. Again, probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world. You got me out. We'll see who's awake. For God so loved the world that He... That whosoever believes and is baptized. Did I quote it right? Or did I just misquote it? There, okay. Those who believe will have eternal life. Those who believe will not perish. But they'll have eternal life. Okay. What did I insert? Those who believe and are baptized. No. That's not the verse, right? And it's very. And I, you, you might say, well, Caleb, that's a, you're really oversimplifying it there. No, we're just trying to make the point. That there's multiple places in Scripture that make clear we're justified by faith. We receive eternal life through believing, through faith. We don't receive eternal life through believing plus works or believing plus actions. We receive eternal life through faith, through believing. So we just consider John 3 there. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're actually going to look at a couple of verses in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, but Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. If we are indeed sealed with the Spirit at the moment of conversion, at the moment of belief, when you received the gospel and believed you were sealed with the Spirit, if you're sealed with the Spirit, you're saved on your way to heaven. No doubt about it. So, we're sealed with the Spirit at the moment of accepting the gospel as the gospel of our salvation and believing. So the Spirit, to come back to the Spirit, the Spirit washes us in regeneration. We're, we're born again of the Spirit. We're baptized into one body through the Spirit. And we're also sealed by the Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And when does... When does all of that take place? At the moment of conversion. When we're raised to new life and we believe, we're sealed. Baptism, baptism itself does not lock in or seal our salvation. Baptism is not the final step in our salvation. Meaning that, okay, well you've repented, you've placed your faith in Jesus, now you need to be baptized and then you'll be saved. No. If we're sealed... With the promised Holy Spirit at the moment of belief, at the moment of faith, then we are fully saved. Now, baptism is of utmost importance. Now we're going to look at briefly two passages where we'll start in Acts 2. Where there's a clear, seemingly a clear sign from Scripture where people would look at this and they, and they do today. They'll say, see right there, it says be baptized. Or baptism saves you. Okay? We're not trying to ignore those passages of Scripture. 
We don't need to run from those passages of Scripture. We don't need to get nervous when those passages of Scripture come up. We just need to understand those passages of Scripture. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, the end of Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him, Jesus Christ, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Repent and be baptized. I would like to draw our attention real quick back to the Great Commission. Go therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Ghost. Here on the day of Pentecost, Peter is simply doing what he was commissioned to do by Christ. He preaches a sermon on the day of Pentecost. He, he shares the gospel. He shares the testimony of Jesus Christ. And people say, what must we do to be saved? They are to repent, turn from their sin, place their faith in Jesus Christ, become a disciple. He's making disciples and he's baptizing them. What must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. So he's following through and he's following the great commission here. So repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And then verse 41 says, Those who received His word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now those who received His word, I want to point this out to connect it with what I said earlier, we're not saying that baptism is just this optional, you can get baptized if you want to, but it's really not important because you're saved anyway. Jesus commands to be baptized. Okay, So anyone who accepts the gospel, anyone who says, I'm turning from my sin, I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ, I want to follow in the faith. I want to follow the teachings, the instruction of Jesus Christ. What is one of the first teachings? What is one of the first things that they're going to come across? Be baptized. So to be baptized is, is one of those initial public acts of obedience that I am turning from my sin. I'm turning from living my own life. I'm turning from doing my own thing. I'm turning from my sin and placing my faith in Jesus Christ. And as a demonstration of that, I'm being obedient to the faith. I'm being obedient to His instructions. And He instructs us to be baptized. Okay, So as many as received the Word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So again, with baptism, we are acknowledging that we are turning from sin. We've been born again. We're turning from sin. We were raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And so we're baptized. And in that baptism, we, when we go under the water... We are acknowledging that the old man is dead and we're raised to walk in newness of life. We're buried with Christ. We're resurrected with Christ. Buried with Him. Raised to walk 
in newness of life. So there is a very close connection to professing faith in Christ and being baptized. They're in close proximity to one another. You're not saved because you got baptized. You're not not saved because you didn't get baptized. But all who are saved, all who profess faith in Christ, ought to be baptized. Why? Because it's commanded. It's an act of obedience. You're publicly acknowledging that I was a sinner, dead in my sins. I've repented. I've turned away from that. The old man is dead. I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And I have a new life through Christ Jesus. Turn now to 1 Peter chapter 3. So Peter preached that sermon on the day of Pentecost. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, we find ourselves reading another very important passage of Scripture here. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now hold on to that phrase there. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. Now many people, and you might be thinking this to yourself right now, if you're not familiar with this passage of Scripture, you might think, well, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. So baptism saves us. And this is why I said we don't need to be scared of these passages. We don't need to run from them. We don't need to get nervous when people bring them up. We need to know how to understand them biblically. Okay? If we take this passage like others do and say, well, this, this says baptism saves you. So baptism saves you. You've got to be baptized or you're not really saved because it says it right there then we would have to ignore many other passages, but just consider the three that we looked at. Romans 4, justified by faith. Did that justification come before or after Abraham's circumcision? It came before. Does our justification before God, does it come before or after our baptism? It comes before. Why? Because we are justified before God. If we are justified, we're declared righteous before God, then there is no sin that can be brought to our account that would keep us from eternal life. We've been justified. Okay? John 3.16 All who believe will not perish, but have everlasting life. All who believe. All who look upon the Son and believe will have eternal life. And then we look ultimately at Ephesians chapter 1. That at the moment that we accept that gospel as the gospel of our salvation and we believe, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We are sealed at the moment we believe and place our faith in Jesus Christ. So we're justified, we're saved, we're sealed at the moment of 
conversion, not at the moment of baptism. So that leads us to the question. Okay, you might say, okay, Caleb, I get everything that you under, that you just said and I understand it. Nevertheless, the verse does say, baptism now saves you. Let's read everything in context again. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Again, you can't really talk about the baptism without talking about the gospel. Jesus Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. What happened at the crucifixion? Jesus Christ laid down His life upon the cross. Three days later, He arose. He was dead in the flesh. He was made alive in the Spirit. In which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. So, baptism which corresponds to this might be could be directly connected to Noah and the flood. Or it could be baptism which corresponds to this being put to death in the flesh and raised up in the Spirit. If we take it to be connected to being put to death in the flesh and raised in the Spirit, then it, it's very simplistic, very straightforward to see, well, dead in the flesh, buried in the flesh, raised in the Spirit, baptism corresponds to that. We're acknowledging that the old man is dead. We're raised up with Christ. But if the connection is to be made with Noah and the flood, then we have, some, we have a few things to consider here. Now, we know that the earth was destroyed with a flood because of the sin and the wickedness of mankind. Now, right before he says baptism, which corresponds to this, he says, a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So hold on to that as well. But we know that the flood came ultimately because of the sinfulness and wickedness of mankind. We know that the entire earth was covered, was destroyed, with the flood. The only survivors were eight people. Noah and his wife, their three sons, and their wives. Okay? When the water subsided, it was as if there was a new creation. The world had been purified of all the sin and corruption and wickedness. And from Noah and his three sons and their wives came what populated the earth thereafter. So it was really as if there was a new creation and Noah and his wife and uh, kind of stood as a new Adam and Eve in a sense. So the waters purified things. So the waters brought judgment, the waters brought purification, and the water also served as the means by which Noah and his family were spared. Okay? So thinking along those lines, it becomes a little bit easier to connect with water baptism. If we are identifying with, with Christ's death when we go under and we're saying that the old man is dead, then much like the flood, the flood buried all of those that were still on the earth except for Noah and his family, but it buried them in their sinfulness and in their wickedness. They were buried in judgment, which is what our sin deserves. Our sin deserves the judgment and the wrath of God. And so, in water baptism, we, we go under the flood, buried, acknowledging that this is what we deserve. That old man 
is dead. And when we're raised up, we're raised up in newness of life, which means that we've been cleansed, we've been purified. When the floodwaters subsided, the earth had been cleansed and purified of all of that wickedness and all of that sin that brought the judgment. So there's a purifying and a cleansing aspect of it. We know that the water also served as the means by which Noah and his family were brought safely to their new creation. Brought safely through the flood. So when we acknowledge that, we say, well, it wasn't the water ultimately that saved Noah and his family. What saved Noah and his family was the ark. They were in the ark. The water just carried them safely. When we come out of the water, walk in newness of life, we've been purified, we've been cleansed, and the water by... The water is the means by which we are carried through and we acknowledge that we are saved because we are in Christ. We're not in the ark, so to speak, but the ark symbolized being in Christ. And so we are saved through being in Christ and the baptism stands as a testimony or a public proclamation That we are identifying and we placed our faith in Christ. We are identifying as those who are a part of the body of Christ. We have been brought safely through. There is no condemnation left for us. We are safe. We are saved because we are in Christ Jesus. Now it says this. It says it saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body. So it Peter makes clear, I'm not saying that baptism saves you because it just washes you clean. It saves you as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. An appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So for anybody to say, well, you got to be baptized to be saved and baptism itself saves you. This verse, which seemingly started out Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. It seems like they've got a knockout punch. But if you just keep reading, it says it's an appeal to God for a good conscience. Peter doesn't even say that once you're baptized, now you're guaranteed to have that good conscience. The baptism is the appeal to God for a good conscience. Through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through faith in the resurrection in Jesus Christ. It's an appeal. It's like a public declaration even to God and saying, okay, I believe. I repented of my sin. I've I've turned from this. I've placed my faith in Christ. And through His death and His resurrection, I'm making an appeal. I'm identifying with Christ that my faith, I have faith that I was buried with Him and I'm raised up with Him. So it's an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. So again, it's a a public proclamation that an individual has repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. This faith unites them to Christ in His death and in His resurrection as an appeal to God. I'm identifying, I'm, I'm, I'm placing myself within your family, so to speak. We know that ultimately it is God Himself that brings us into His family. But baptism is a public way of saying, I identify with the body of Christ now. I'm cut off from the world. 
And really, I, I don't want to preach another sermon, but anytime I think about that, we would all do well to remind ourselves, as a Christian, that is what we're doing. That is how we identify. We are cut off from the world. This world is not our home. A Christian is one who has been baptized into the body of Christ. Cut off. Separated. From the world. No longer to live in the manner and the lifestyle of the world. But to be holy as He is holy. And baptism again, you could you could view baptism as like that initial act of obedience. Again, okay, I heard the gospel message, I heard that preacher, and I've repented of my sin, I have faith, I accept that message. Jesus is Lord, He's the only Savior, He's the only mediator between God and man. I'm turning from my, from my sin and placing my faith in Jesus Christ. What do I need to do? Be baptized. Repent. And be baptized. And think about the beauty of truly being a part of the family of God. In Acts chapter 2 it said that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. One way to view salvation, not just in our own lives, but for everyone. When God calls one of His children home. Not in a sense that they pass away, but in a sense that they, their old self passes away and they're brought to new life. He calls them into the fold. In that process, exactly what is happening is what we've been talking about. There was a man or a woman who was doing their own thing, living their own life, dead in their trespasses and sin. And God saves them. They're washed in the regeneration of the Spirit. They're baptized into the body of Christ. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And now, they're not of the world anymore. They're a part of the family of God. And for any of us who claims to be a part of that family, we would do well to consider the mercy and the grace of God which makes that true in our lives. That we were, past tense, that there was a time that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Yet there was a time where God the Father saw to it that we heard the voice of our shepherd and we came into the fold. That we were born again. And we were cut off from the world and brought into the family of God. And so baptism is this this beautiful, deep, biblical picture of what has taken place inwardly by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God. Those who are being baptized are saying, I identify with Christ. I'm buried with Him. I'm raised up with Him. I have a new life in Him. And the life that I now live is not even my own, but it is Christ who lives within me. So we say confidently that baptism does not save. One does not have to be baptized in order to be saved. But we say with just as much confidence that baptism is not just simply this 
oh, well, we've got a baptism service coming up. And oh, those are always great. Everybody's smiling. And it's, it's great to baptize people. There is deep, meaningful, biblical significance in baptism. And lastly, just a couple of remarks to add to this. Jesus also spoke of a baptism that was after His earthly physical baptism by John the Baptist. He spoke of a baptism that was yet to come or a baptism that He was yet to endure. And He even asked some of the disciples, can you be baptized with the baptism that that I will be baptized? And what was He speaking of? That baptism was the baptism that took place upon the cross. And so we do share, as believers, we share even in that baptism. The old man is dead. We were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. And so we do identify with that baptism through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God. A Christian can literally say, I was crucified with Christ. I'm in Christ. I was crucified with Him. I'm raised with Him. There's great theological significance to that. And then another way to view it as far as as an outward expression and and in our earthly lives, Jesus' baptism inaugurated His earthly ministry. Baptism in the life of the Christian is an inauguration of telling the world, I've been made new. I have a new life. I'm not going to live that old life anymore. That old life, that old man, that old person that I was is dead. And baptism, in a way, serves as an inauguration of of our earthly ministry. That God has saved us and He has left us here for a reason, for a purpose, to accomplish all that He has for us and to glorify Him with the time that He has given us here on this earth. And so we can identify with that baptism as well. So there's great importance and significance to baptism. But does baptism save? Is baptism necessary to be saved? No. And I know that that's the third or fourth time I repeated it, but I'll keep on doing it. Everybody here, and those who are not here that might listen to this sermon later on, it is so important. What saves us is faith. We are justified by faith alone. Trusting in the finished work of Christ, who was perfect, Who perfectly upheld the law, which we could never do. Who perfectly paid the price for sin, which we could never do. Trusting in His finished work. Who has perfectly defeated sin and death, which we could never do. And He alone grants eternal life. Through faith in Christ, we are saved. And so I'll close with that thought. Ephesians chapter 2. I said we'd look at both chapters and I didn't do that earlier, so we'll close with Ephesians 2. Starting in verse 1. 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation is by grace through faith. Baptism is a demonstration of what has taken place inwardly by the supernatural work of the Spirit. Namely being born again, raised up to new life in Christ Jesus. And now a baptized member of the body of Christ. Separated called out from the world, a chosen child of the family of God. So it is with great anticipation. I hope we are all very excited for our service next Sunday. And I hope that if we did not already have a solid understanding of baptism, that now we have a clearer, more firm grasp on baptism and the significance of baptism. Um, And if anything I said brought up more questions to you, say, well, actually, now I have more questions about baptism. You can come and ask me your questions anytime. We'll talk about it. But I hope we look forward to it. We as a church are thrilled that we have the opportunity um, to baptize, I think it's seven last time I counted. So we're looking forward to next Sunday. Uh, Looking forward to the baby dedication service as well. Thank you all for being attentive as always. And we'll close in a word of prayer.